Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there. Pucks and Cups, which releases every single Tuesday, and From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday. I do all these podcasts full-time. The writing, the research, editing, everything. And every dollar you give helps keep it all going. So, if you donate or become a patron, I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at bairdo37. Before any Europeans ever set foot in what would one day be Glenborough, the area of the future community was the land occupied by the Sioux and the Anishinaabe. They would follow the bison herds that came through the area, which formed an important part of their culture. The Sioux and Anishinaabe would be the first of the indigenous of the area to encounter French and English explorers, and they would begin to trade furs with them, forever altering their culture. As time went on, a new culture would start to emerge with the Métis, who would have a huge impact on the future province of Manitoba. The early history of Glenborough in terms of settlement begins in the 1730s when the first French explorers were coming to the area. In 1798, legendary explorer David Thompson came through the area and noted the good quality of the soil in his journal. It would not be until 1879, though, that the first European settlers would arrive. Jonas Christie and James Duncan were the first settlers, and they were followed by many other settlers, including many Icelandic settlers who arrived between 1889 and 1894. In 1886, the Canadian Pacific Railway arrived and Christie and Duncan offered their land for a new town site that would become Glenborough. The first building to be built was the Queen's Hotel. Steamboats were operated on the Assiniboine River between 1875 and 1885, and the bow timbers of the last of the steamboats are now at the Glenborough Park and can be visited to this very day. Also around the 1870s, the Milford Cemetery would be created to serve the community of Milford, which was a boomtown near Glenborough at the time. A bustling centre of 100 people, Milford had several stores, three hotels, three stables, two blacksmiths, three doctors, and several more businesses. By the time the 1880s came along, though, the Canadian Pacific Railway bypassed the community and the residents of Milford had to relocate, causing the community to die. The Milford Cemetery serves as one of the few pieces of the community to remain to this day. The monument site is 6,000 square meters and consists of a large stone monument and a clearing with the cemetery nearby. The cemetery is still in active use and the monument features a dedication written by Nellie McClung, the women's suffrage pioneer and author who spent part of her childhood in Milford. The site was made a municipal heritage site in 2001. In 1888, work began on a church. That church stands to this day and is known for being the oldest Icelandic Lutheran church in Canada, still standing in its original form. It's the Grund Lutheran Church. On November 25, 1888, a meeting was held to discuss building a church. It was decided that funds would be allocated and used towards church building and purchasing two acres of land at $5 an acre. 
Things got off to a good start when the ladies' aid donated $200 towards construction. With volunteer labor and carpenters Pierring Halgrimson and Arnie Svensson, the Grund Church began to take shape. With the church completed, Halfstein Picturesson was contacted in Iceland to come out and serve the parish, and he would accept and he would serve until 1893. I should mention at this point that there is quite a few Icelandic names and I'm doing my best to pronounce them. In 1911, the church would obtain a wonderful new organ. At the time, Hilla Johnson had been the organist since 1905 and would remain so apart from a few years until 1965. On September 15, 1974, the province of Manitoba assumed custodianship of the church, maintaining it as a memorial to the Icelanders who came to the area and settled so many years ago. On October 29, 1990, it was designated as a municipal heritage site and it will be listed on the Canadian Historical Places Register on November 1, 2005. On December 14, 1900, Abe Goenlock would be born in Glenborough and he would go on to become arguably the greatest athlete to ever come from the community. Starting out early in life as a curler, he would form a rink with his friends, and in 1938 they would win the McDonald Briar, becoming the first team from rural Manitoba to accomplish this. Goenlock would win a second Briar in 1953 when he was 52, making him the oldest skip to win the Briar to this very day. Over the course of his life, he would win those Briars as well as two provincial titles. He also won 57 consecutive tournaments, four Manitoba Curling Association bonds bills, and in 1984, he was inducted into the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. He would pass away on September 27, 1988. It was a story that shocked the entire area when news came down that Morin Mastiff, a Belgian farmer who lived just southwest of Cypress River, was murdered on January 1, 1916 by his hired man. Newspapers give the name of a victim as both Morin Mastiff and A. Mostaw, and I've chosen to go with Mastiff. The man, only identified as Alador Nyssen, was immediately taken into custody and admitted to killing Mastiff on New Year's Day. Mrs. Mastiff stated that when she was questioned of threats that Nyssen had uttered in her presence at her husband, stating that he would shoot Mastiff because he was a German. This was during the First World War when anti-German hysteria was at its height. Nyssen would state that the words were spoken in fun and that the gun had accidentally discharged. He stated he'd been drinking and that Mastiff's wife had been quarreling with her husband prior to the shooting as well. Mrs. Mastiff, who was never actually identified by her first name, would say that she had actually heard the men yelling at each other, and as she walked downstairs, a gunshot was heard. She called out to her husband, and Nyssen stated, quote, You need to call him. You won't get any reply. I've just shot him. End quote. He then told her to wipe up the blood and help him drag the body out, or he would kill her too. She did what she was asked, afraid for her life. After Nyssen became so drunk he passed out, Mrs. Mastiff ran to the neighbor's home to report the crime. Nothing else is mentioned of the shooting after January 4th, so it's unknown if Nyssen was sentenced to death or life in prison. There have been many important visitors to the rural communities around Glenborough, including athletes, politicians, and media stars. One of the most important individuals to ever come to the area was a representative of the royal family, the Governor General of Canada. It was on August 20th, 1932, when it was announced that Lord Besseborough, the Governor General, would be coming to the community for a brief visit while traveling through southwest Manitoba. To get ready for the visit, a group of business owners came together to discuss plans for the reception, and it was decided that a welcome ceremony would be held on the lawn of the CPR station agent, G.L. McQueen. Five constables were also appointed to assist Provincial Constable Alex Johnson to regulate traffic. 
When the big day arrived, a change of plans was in order due to high heat already hitting the area by 10 a.m. It was decided to move the event over to a shaded area where it would be much cooler. Throughout the town, flags were set up and an artistic arch was put up on the CPR lawn. It was also decorated with sheaves of grain to add an agricultural touch to the festivities. The Glenboro Band was in attendance and they began playing as the motorcade arrived with the RCMP on motorcycles. As soon as the Governor General left his car, the band began playing the national anthem. Several local dignitaries were there to greet the Governor General, including the Honorable Robert Rogers, Brigadier T.V. Anderson, the Lieutenant Governor J.D. McGregor, Premier John Bracken, and Mayor Ralph Webb. The Governor General then gave a brief speech and thanked everyone for the kind welcome and mentioned that now that the ice was broken, he would probably have similar visits. A local boy named Gerald Ferg was wandering around on the yard and the Governor General picked him up and posed for the camera. Soon after, the Governor General got back into his car and left as the band once again played O Canada. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call one 866 In 1933, near Glenboro, Northfield School would be built on school land that had been used for the purpose since 1882. The original school had burned to the ground, so the new Northfield School was built in the same style as the original school. For the next three decades, that school would be used by the children of the area until 1960, when it was closed as a schoolhouse. That was not the end of the school, though. It would continue to operate as a community centre, which it does to this very day. And you can visit the site of the school and see the school itself, which serves as a reminder of the schools that were used so many years ago. On May 23, 1957, a farmer named Don Rogers near Glenboro had a very sudden surprise when a rocket crashed into his yard. Rogers was digging a well on the property when the rocket, which was carried six pounds of TNT, landed and exploded in the yard, shattering barn windows and injuring one of his horses. The rocket, when it exploded, would leave a hole about 2.5 deep and 5 feet wide, but as for the horse, it would have been struck in the neck, but it would survive the close call with the rocket. Rogers would say, quote, It was just one of those things. We've never had any trouble from the planes or rockets before. End quote. The Royal Canadian Air Force would investigate, but it was believed that it was a rocket from a Royal Canadian Navy Banshee jet in Rivers, Manitoba, that had accidentally misfired during an exercise near Shiloh, Manitoba, a firing range just north of Glenboro. The RCAF would state, quote, The rocket apparently was late and it missed the target. End quote. 
At the time, the plane was shooting at ground targets when it misfired, launching a rocket towards Rogers and his farm, who were unaware of what was going on. Thankfully, apart from the injury to the horse, no one else was injured. On August 5, 1964, Bjarni Benningsen, the Prime Minister of Iceland, visited the area, meeting with several residents who had come from Iceland years ago. The highlight of the day was the gathering at the Grund Lutheran Church where Prime Minister Benningsen spoke to 200 people. At the time, Icelanders made up about 35% of the population of the community and they were happy to see the Prime Minister visit. He would state that he was greatly impressed with what he saw in Canada and especially the accomplishments of the Icelanders who emigrated to the country 90 years ago. He would say, quote, The Icelandic people have every reason to be proud of the people who have left the country. Canada must be proud of these citizens. End quote. He then said, quote, You can be proud of being good sons and daughters of the old country and proud of being good citizens of this country. End quote. He would go on to say that he hoped the friendship, which had been strong between Western Icelanders, would remain strong. His visit to Glenborough was preceded by visits to the Icelandic communities of Gimli and Winnipeg. His son would attend a CFL game in Winnipeg while his father traveled around the province. And along with the church, the Prime Minister would also visit two local farms and would comment on the wonderful landscape and agriculture of the area. This was the first tour of Western Canada for Benningson, although he had been in Canada in 1952 on a visit to Ottawa. Following his visit to Glenborough, he would go on to Edmonton, Red Deer, Banff, and then back to Iceland a week after he had visited the area. Benningson had served as Prime Minister from 1963 to 1970, and he would unfortunately die while in office after a fire broke out at his summer home, killing him, his wife, and his grandson. In the summer of 1978, Sarah arrived as a defining part of Glenborough. Sarah isn't a person, though, but a camel sculpture that has become the most recognizable part of the community. Serving as the symbol of the Spirit Sands or Manitoba Desert, Sarah the Camel was created by George Barone from Winnipeg. The idea for the statue came from the Chamber of Commerce as a way to also promote the community and become a symbol for Glenborough. Sarah was shipped to Glenborough in two pieces on the back of a flatbed truck, and she would be reassembled and mounted on concrete in the community on October 12, 1978. In all, Sarah the Camel is 17 feet high, weighs over one ton, and costs $9,000 to construct. If you would like to learn more about the history of Glenborough and the surrounding area, you can visit the Borough of the Glean Museum. The museum opened in 2000 and today provides a glimpse into the lives of early settlers of Glenborough from the late 1800s to the 1950s. In the museum, you will find a general store and living quarters that includes a kitchen, dining room, bedroom, and parlor. In the lower level of the museum, there is a recreated dental office, memorabilia from baseball and curling, and a recreated schoolhouse. There are also old photographs, post office boxes, a telephone switchboard, and much more. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Glenboro, Manitoba. If you did, please leave a rating and review. On Saturday, I'm looking at Women's Suffrage in Canada. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, 
Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.